You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast. Happy Friday. Joined by the latest member of the PHNX family, the man who is begrudgingly joining us on this Friday. Hello, Anthony Jimino. How are you? Here we are, just two dudes from PHNX Sports chatting about the Wildcats. All right. Anthony, you've watched a lot of good football from the U of A over the years. You've watched a lot of bad football. You've watched some great defenses. You've watched some terrible offenses. You've you've run pretty much the gamut right here. You've seen a lot of different coaches. Well, let's just start out with the main thing. You're you're three halfway through year three of Jed Fish. If the professor, if Dr. Anthony Jamino was to give a grade so far on how Jed Fish has taken this program what would Mr. Uh, what would Dr. Jamino put it at right there? PhD Jamino, that is. Well, you know, I think the uh, professor would give him a solid B. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he's he's done some things. The kind of the one th- thing, and this was after several years of Mike Stoops, that it was obvious he had was able to take the program from, and I wrote this on multiple occasions. He took the program from point A to point B. He was not the guy who was going to take the program from point B to Pasadena. Right. And now, unfortunately, that doesn't even apply because Rose Bowl is not even a thing anymore and Arizona won't be in the Pac-12. So it's still too early to know if Jed Fish is the guy. I think he's well on his way to get into point B. Mm. He's not there yet because to get to point B, you have to be winning some ball games. Or more more ball games than they've won so far, but you can see the progress. We all know that. Is he going to be the guy who can take that extra step once he gets there? We don't know. But so far, not everybody, Kevin Sumlin, for example, can take that first step. Right. You know, Rich Rod did. Mike Stoops did. John Makovic didn't. So I guess you're batting, you're about, what, 50-50? So Jed Fish is on the right side of the 50-50 call right now. Where I'm at with Fish is, and again, we're going to talk about the talent overhaul because that's obvious and there's some good stuff there. Where I still question, I have some questions about Jed Fish is still a little bit in the play-calling decision-making. I don't necessarily watch Arizona football games and say, that's some next level scheming right there on offense. You know, with a guy like Rich Rod, granted, Rich Rod couldn't recruit, but you mm-hmm. can tell within five minutes that, nah, this guy gets it. He knows and, how to put people in the right spot. Yeah. And he's, he, and he's still doing that. And he is still doing yeah, that. Yeah. I'm not sure there's a better, that there's not a better coach in the country than Rich Rod of taking average to below average talent and making them winners. Right. Um, know, he, he was that kind of guy who could take, his players and beat you and then take your players and beat you with his guys because he was so good at scheming and is, is so good at scheming with fish. There's a couple things and our good buddy, John Schuster mentioned this to me and I started paying attention to it. And it's right. Uh, fish to me makes Wait, a, well, are we supposed to listen to Schuster? Hey, well, you guys both share the same mutual best friend, though, and you guys know him from totally different avenues. So, again, you might know him from at home at times, but um, 
the uh, so that is a funny little background story. But Schuster, Schuster, I thought made a rare good point where he said. Uh, watching Jed Fish's offense is kind of like the 2005 NFL version in that if you're going to throw the ball on first down, you will always pass it on second if it's incomplete or uh, you will always run it on second mm-hmm. down every single time, no matter what. And um, and then when you get into overtime, you kind of play it safe. You don't really go for the wins right there. We saw that against USC right there. I thought they should have gone for two. Um but again, that's probably nitpicking there a little bit. But you don't you don't really see, I guess, with maybe it's just because Rich Rod was so recent, but you don't really see, ne- I guess, next level innovative play calling. But maybe that's just me picking the nits right there. Yeah, it's, I mean, especially this year, I thought Arizona from Jetfish year one to year two made very clear improvements in terms of their big playability. Right. I remember looking at that chart and saying, oh, wow, look at look at that graph. It's way higher than that first year chart. This right. year, if I did that same chart, I, I don't think we'd see any improvement at all in terms of big playability and those 20 plus 30 plus yardage kind of plays. So, yeah, there's it's missing a little bit of that explosiveness. Some of it is I think Jed is is just content and probably rightly so, as I say this, to take what the defense gives them. And if right. defense is yeah. going to make Arizona do that 15-play, 75-yard drive, good luck to Arizona, because we know with uh, Jaden Delora, chances are over 15 plays, he's, he was he might make a killer mistake either by taking a huge sack or throwing an interception or something like that. So that would be the plan. With Noah, you know, he's he's making far less mistakes. So we, Arizona has a better chance of sustaining those drives. Can we agree that no more trick plays? These trick plays never oh work. And I, I don't know that there's been one successful trick play during the Jet Fish era. And if there has been, I apologize. The trick mm. plays never work. Not this year, right? I mean, can you think of right. one this year? And usually they come at really bad times, you know. They put together Very an opportunity yards, and you're you're second and five, and you do a trick play, and now suddenly you're a third and twelve again. Yeah, right. Yeah, we we can get rid yeah, of those or break them out. Sometimes you do that to set up something else, but that doesn't seem to be the case here. Let's talk about the quarterback play a little bit because you've covered some interesting quarterback situations over the year. But first, Shady Rays. Look at Mike Luke. Total dweeb, never going to be cool. But when I wear Shady Rays, there are moments when I have a hint of coolness. Yes. You look at Anthony Gemino, one of the dons of the Southwest, always cool. But he becomes the godfather then if he has the Shady Rays on. Exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out to the best deal of the season. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code PHNX for 50% off two-plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 50,000 or two or 250,000 people and become a PHNX diehard. Anthony Gimino, the G dog is here. You get the weekly newsletter, you get his write ups, you get all kinds of cool merchandise. Um, you get access to the discord chat. No better time to become a PHNX diehard than right now. All right. I want to take you back to the quarterback, uh, probably the most notable quarterback situation in U of a history, Keith Smith, Ortiz Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Keith Smith has a really good freshman year, gets uh, gets banged up, whatever you want to call it, his sophomore year, OJ takes over. OJ has 
and this will sound bad. I don't mean it this way. Kind of a flash in the pan freshman season where you start wondering, wow, could we have a Heisman candidate? It quickly becomes apparent that, yeah, it quickly becomes apparent though. After that, the Keith Smith is the better quarterback and Dick Tomey again, became probably more like 70, 30, uh, as the years went on Keith Smith, Ortiz Jenkins right there. At what point is it, at what point does it force a coach's hand where you're like, all right, we got to play this guy? Because I wonder if we're approaching that point with the Noah Fafita, Jaden Dolores situation right here. Yeah, well, in in the case of Keith and OJ, you know, Tommy brought them in after the 97 season and said, you know, well, both, of, both of you are going to compete. You're going to compete. Nobody's, nobody's uh, guaranteed any playing time at all. You're going to compete for the job, and if you don't like it, you can leave. And they both decided to stay and compete. Right. So I think there was, and it, and it worked. Obviously, it worked. They went twelve and one. Um, even right. in you know, everybody talked. You know, OJ's greatest moment is the uh, leap by the lake, the flip into the end zone to beat Washington. What people often forget is that Keith came in and played quarterback on that drive. For right. at least one play, and he threw like a twenty-yard pass to OJ. So even right. that that two-quarterback system worked. Was it rare? Was it unusual? Yeah, probably so. But both quarterbacks went into that exactly knowing the situation, and Dick Tomey gave them an out, and they both decided to stay and compete with each other. Now this situation is a little bit different. I know you're on Team Noah. I would love to buy the Team Noah T-shirt. I'm on Team Noah. All the way. I don't, you know, I don't have, uh, you know, it's, it's not my job, my salary on the line like it is for Jed Fishes. So it's really easy for me to say, let's go with Noah. Um, but I think, and you've been breaking it down all week with Sheer and Jody and Ben White. You know, you've gone through the stats and you've gone through the the plays and, and all those kind of things. I'm just super comfortable with Noah. Um and I think Jed has left himself just enough of an out that, right. I agree. that Noah can start on Saturday. And then if something maybe – and clearly, and he mentioned this in his Thursday press conference, that JDL will be available. He could come in off the bench if he had. If Noah started, something went bad, or Noah tweaks an ankle, whatever, he'll be available. You know, um, I'd kind of like to, you know, I kind of hope it turns out that way because I want to see more Noah. And then if he, if Noah does, what and what happens now? If Noah starts, say they beat Washington State. Right. You got the bye. Well, you got to go. You got to stick with them, right? At, at that point, and again, we both know the fan base here pretty well. I will say this. At that point, I think you really start getting some people to start questioning you. If if uh, Noah Fafita goes in there, plays well, beats Washington State after these two performances, where I thought he was good enough against Washington, not great, missed some throws, bad pick. USC, I thought overall outside of the one interception and the missed pass, I thought he was fantastic. But if he plays really well against Washington State mm-hmm. and they somehow win, you go into the bye week and then start JDL – at some point, I think you're going to have a lot of fans that are going to really start questioning some of your decision-making when it comes to the most obvious position on the field. Yeah, and I'm not – you know, everybody always says you can't lose your job because of injury. That's all – cra- that's not true. 
Why not? It's a phrase that people say, but they don't even think it through. Now, would it be fair? I mean, it would kind of suck for JDL to to get hurt. Noah takes over and, uh, well, that's it. Sorry, you're not going to be starting anymore. But, you know, if you were, you know, frankly, if you were better, that wouldn't happen. And so, nail on the head. Maybe, Go ahead, maybe Fish is just trying to be really fair to Jaden. Okay, he's let's let's play the let's play it the other way. JDL starts at Washington State. Now I think Jed may be playing with. Okay, it was it may not have been totally fair that uh, Jaden would never get another opportunity again. Let's see what he does. He knows the bar has been raised. Can JDL come up in to the bar that Noah has set the last couple games? Give him that chance. That would be fair to him. Right. If he can't do it, you've got the bye week, you can make the change. If he can do it, all the better for your team. I think the problem watching JDL this year, though, is that it the, the offense has looked totally scattershot when he's been in there this entire season. Um, the thing with Noah is when Noah has an easy pass in front of him for 10 yards or an easy first down where he can run, he takes it. With Jaden Delora, especially in that Stanford game, it feels like he runs around for 40 yards even when he's not being pressured and then chucks it out of bounds or throws it deep. It feels very disjointed, whereas when Noah Fafita's in there, even though he's a freshman and the other guy's a fourth-year junior, it feels like the offense has far more of a sense of purpose right there. And I think it's – I'll put it to you like this. It's more aesthetically pleasing, Anthony. How about that? Mm. Well, I – um, I just get a overwhelming sense of calm. Everything is going to be all right. Yes. Which which you don't get from Jaden Delore because he is running around and scrambling. And it's ironic that he gets hurt on the very play where he could have avoided all that just by getting rid of the ball sooner. Right. Or what JDL really doesn't do, he doesn't he doesn't climb the pocket. He gets pressure and he retreats. Where Noah gets pressure, he steps up. Now that's going to open up the field and give him that opportunity. He's not, you know, he's not necessarily the runner JDL can be when he wants to be. But Noah also has been really smart with when he chooses to run, when he chooses to slide, when he chooses to get out of bounds, or when he chooses to kind of go head first and get that little extra yardage, knowing he needs that particular yardage. Right. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree on that. And he's got a connection with the receivers. And again, I'm not saying that JDL doesn't, but you look at uh, uh, Tedaroa McMillan, for example. You, uh, you've, you were talking about him being one of those unicorns stepping on campus here. <laughs> You can just tell that they have a synergy with each other. They have an understanding with each other that I'm not saying that JDL doesn't, but you can clearly tell that they have played a lot of football together. Noah Fafita and uh, T-Mac. Yeah. And that's, yeah, it's a really great connection. Yeah. It's a sixth sense kind of thing where yeah. Noah knows exactly where T-Mac's going to go and, and T-Mac's going to know exactly where to be because you know where Noah wants to put it. And that's another, it's another consideration, which, you know, you're, I know you're super tuned in, you know, you, you got your sources. So, I mean, when you get into this quarterback kind of controversy debate, it's not a small thing to factor in 
how does the team feel? I'll, and that's I'll put a little it to you bit, like you know, that's a little bit, you know, I think you would say that the, maybe the majority of the team is kind of a, on team Noah as well. I don't know that, but I think that's a consideration too. The team, you know, you can't, you can't fold the players. They're there at practice every day. They're at the, they're, they know they're playing up. in the game. They know who gives them a better chance to win. And, you know, if you stick with and, the wrong guy, then you're not only hurting the team, you're hurting, you're losing the team. I've got a historical question for Mr. Anthony Jamino, but first, DraftKings. The NFL season is, uh, the NFL season is going strong and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking up new customers with an offer that's even stronger. Here's the deal. Put down five bucks and, uh, Put down five bucks on any game and you can score $200 instantly in bonus bets. All right, here's the deal. Um, gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in Connecticut. Help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. Licensing partner, Golden uh, Nugget, Lake Charles, Louisiana. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 186 hours after issuance see sportsbook.com draft uh, draftkings.com slash uh, football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions terms and responsible gambling uh resources okay noah fafita i've stood next to noah fafita many a time i am five eight and a half and i will always take that extra half inch right there I'll always take it i'm taller than noah fafita um Mm-hmm. I don't know in Power Five, and I brought this up with Jody yesterday, and you would, you would, you. This is definitely an AG question. I cannot think of a traditional drop back quarterback who was five eight or below in college football history. That was a traditional quarterback, not a you know right. a Jamel Holloway or a you know. I can't think of one, Anthony. Maybe I'm missing it, but I can't think of one. Yeah, you know what? Keith Smith was not the Arizona listed him at 5'11, I believe. He mm. was not 5'11. Now, I am not blessed to be as tall as Mike Luke, which is sad. <laughs> but, but but I could stand next to Keith Smith, and he was just this much taller than me. I mean, if he was right. if Keith was 5'8, I'd be shocked. And I don't really, I, honestly, I don't believe he was. If now, Keith was five eight, you know, think he was? I don't. I don't even think he was five eight. I'm sure he would say he was or is, but I don't think he. You was. think so? You think Keith Smith was like five seven? Yeah, I kind of do. To be honest. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. Okay. Now Keith was not here. He was not a traditional dropback quarterback, but he could. I mean, he could. He could stand right. there and deliver. Um, he certainly had For the sure. arm and um, I got, of course, a great runner. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, to your point, those um, those those uh, quarterbacks don't exist. Yeah. God, and and, and it's had their share of short quarterbacks over the years. Right. Uh, very, very I'm much. Starting so, exactly. with, I mean, if you want to go just in the in the pack 10 years, um, Tom Tunnicliffe was not a big dude. You know, he was probably six right. foot even. And again, these are what. Right. These are the heights that the school lists them as. 
Then you go, you know, Tommy's first quarterback, Bobby Waters, the transfer from SMU. You know, probably again pushing six feet at best. Then you go Ronnie Veal. Um, George Malaulu was not, he was probably a legit six, but not much more. Yeah. Um, right. You got uh, from there, you go to Dan White, who was six Definitely. four. I mean, he was but his a, release point made him five seven, though. <laughs> he got he got hit a lot. So, you know, he might not have uh, ended up at six four. But yeah, certainly a lot of, uh, Short Arizona quarterbacks over the years, which I guess explains Arizona's lack of success with quarterbacks in in, in, the, in the NFL. All right. You're a buddy of Dwayne Aquina. This is true. Is it not? Sure. I could want me to get him on the phone. Get him on the phone. No. We'll take your word for it. Okay. How much of this defense, because we got to be honest here, this defense is night and day different than, again, it's not the desert swarm, obviously not. But this defense from last year, where I thought it was one of the most disgusting displays of defense that I've seen at Arizona, and that's saying a lot because there's been a lot of bad defenses mm-hmm. here in recent years, to this year where not only is it competent, I think you could start to make the case that it's above average right there. How much of that is personnel? How much of that is bringing in the wizard that is Dwayne Aquino right there, Anthony Jamino? Yeah, I, I think the super easy answer is they've got better players. Yeah. You know, you can't you can't hide that. They've got better players. That's going to help. Um, but I'm not going to minimize the impact that Dwayne Aquino can have. I mean, to me, he's – again, I have not scouted all the other – secondary coaches, DB coaches in the country. If there's two better than Dwayne Aquina, I'd be shocked. I mean, that's just his record. He's got three Thorpe Award winners, like 14 All-Americans, 40-some guys who have played in the NFL. Um, His resume is as good as it gets. It is. That is. There's nobody that has a better resume. I mean, back in the day when, you know, Nick Saban was really coaching DBs in addition to being head coach, uh, you might say Nick Saban. True. But I'm going with Dwayne Aquina. And, you know, you look at – Mark Stoops might have had something to say about – Mark Mark Stoops had a lot of good days. Mark had a great resume, an absolutely fantastic resume. Um, But you look – you just look at – Dwayne Aquina at what is he? Seventy years old. Sorry, I, I, yeah. off the top of my head, I don't know. He's got the same energy he did when he arrived in Tucson in 1987 and helped Chuck Cecil to an All-American season. Right. I mean, he, and he's it the is same funny though. Off topic. All those Thorpe Award winners are not the one, according to Anthony Jamino, that he considers the gold standard at cornerback back this is true anthony this is true chris McAllister. i mean we can count chris among his uh, all americans and his nfl guys and um uh pro bowlers right chris went to one pro bowl if i'm correct you should know this one all pro for sure but he was all pro as well so really yeah for sure okay that's which is way better than pro bowl but um correct yeah chris is still the standard which is amazing to think about. Now, look at this defensive backfield here. And I thought against SC, they had a really nice game plan. You obviously dropped a lot of guys into coverage. But one player I'm very curious to see how he continues to progress because he looks a little bit different in the, uh, out of all the corners is Ephesians Price on. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Brian J. Peterson put out there uh, that, you know, he's uh, allowing less than 50% of the completions in his direction. Uh, only been targeted 25 times this year. Price Ox got a little bit of that next level feel to him and that he's about 6'2 or 6'3, moves pretty yeah. well. If you're looking at those defensive backs, he's the one, Anthony, that stands out to me. Yeah, uh, just just physically and that length is r- super rare at Arizona. Even in some right. of the, in the Desert Swarm days, you were talking about a bunch of JC transfers um, who were, you know, 5'10-ish. And right. they got the job done, but corner wasn't necessarily the strength of those teams. So to see a guy – Daryl Morris. Daryl Morris, who was a really good player, obviously. He played in the NFL, and his kid's tearing it up at Notre Dame right now. Uh, but the right. – yeah, but to get that lean – Six three guy, um, is it, it's not something we've seen, Mike. You know that you, you know, often around here the game's been lost in warmups. Just because even the good corner physicality of the two the cor- right? Even the good cornerbacks, and again, there's been so many good ones here. Obviously, or I mean, your Antoine Casons and you know hmm. stuff like that. But even the good ones always feel like they're Michael Jolivet that they're like five, eight and a half, but they're real spunky. And they're, you know, these guys just look the part a little bit more. And I think price is right on there. Now I want to talk to you about the defensive line, because that to me was the biggest, uh, that to me was the biggest question mark going into the season. Last year's team couldn't generate any pass rush whatsoever. And it gave, and it, uh, it, uh, also, uh, highlighted by giving up a lot of rushing yards as well. Um, <laughs> You've got a you've got a trio or a troika at that defensive end position right now where you've got Taylor Upshaw, which obviously from Michigan, Dion said he didn't want him at Colorado. Arizona will gladly take him. Has had five sacks this year. Then Isaiah Ward, who is in his second year, he's had a nice little year, a couple sacks. Deuce Davis came alive as well this past um this past game. There, and then you look on the interior, Big Bill Norton. Ty Ty Uyagalele, Tyler Manoa, uh, Tia Savea. These are this defensive line looks the part, Anthony. And this the I can't remember the last time the defensive line looked the part. Yeah, it was uh well, you know when it was. It was the Brooks Reed Ricky Elmore line. Yep. But you DeAndre know, Reed or Mitchell. Yeah. Since then we've lived through and no disrespect whatsoever to Parker Zellers. Because we like Parker, we love Zellers. Parker Zellers. Um, and he played pretty darn well. Uh, I'll qualify that. He played pretty darn well at being a 235-pound defensive tackle. Nose guard. You know, thanks, Fritz right. Rod. You know, I remember uh, right. I remember Scooby telling me, like, can you imagine? And this was in, you know, Scooby talk. He's like, can you imagine what my stats would have been if I had a nose guard who was bigger than I was? You know, those guys are supposed to keep the, <laughs> right. the blockers off of guys like Scooby. But, you know, Scooby was bigger than his uh, nose guard, and somehow he still found a way to make a, a bunch of plays. But that's the kind of stuff. You know, Rich Rod's really bad joke, kind of like you and your Crete joke. His uh, really bad joke back in the day was always, you know, we make up for our lack of size with our lack of speed, which was funny because it was kind of true. But he was embracing and it. I know he kind of was, right? Um, but 
again, we'll give Jed the we'll give Jed the credits. Uh, he's gone out, and these days, if you attack the portal and you do it right, and you're strategic, and you've got a keen eye, year to year, it can be night and day. You don't have to wait four years for an offensive lineman to develop or a 300-pound defensive tackle to develop. You just go get one. Jay, let me ask you this. I wanted to ask you about Jacob Manu. He's obviously a tackling machine. Um You've, you covered a lot of tackling machines, obviously. One guy that always comes to mind when I think of guys that compiled a ton of tackles was Marcus Bell. Um, can what is Jacob Manu's what is Jacob Manu's upside in your opinion? Can he be somebody that is more than just a tackle guy, but can get those tackles closer to the line of scrimmage? Can he be a real difference maker out there? Um, what kind of linebacker do you see him being for this next two and a half years, AG? Yeah, I mean, it's nice that he's, you know, he's going to be around for two and a half years. You know, I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily see him as an all-conference guy. But I think we're going to look up after four years and see he's got 500 tackles. Right. Um, You know, he's, but I I think the athletic profile kind of, you know, limits him in a way. But this is totally the kind of guy Arizona always has success with. Right, for sure. The guy that... The USC's of the world thought, no, 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 we're not even going to look at you. You don't fit our criteria. Um, Arizona and from, you know, even Larry Smith and certainly Dick Tomey looked beyond that. You know, and if if a linebacker, you know, Scooby didn't have the greatest athletic profile either, as we could, you know, see. But he's had, he was able to do what he did, I think, because he he. He saw the game really well. He thought the game really well. And if you're a linebacker, maybe you don't have the uh, blazing 4-4 speed. But if you can process the play at 0.3 seconds faster than somebody else, you you make up for it. And I think Arizona often has had that kind of linebacker. They haven't had Justin Flo. I mean, that's that's another guy. Like, he's in an Arizona uniform? (laughs) Really? <laughs> but Manu is more the uh, traditional, you know, little spunky, undersized, but get it done. And I think just because of the way he plays and the way he's always around the ball, he's going to, you know, he's already kind of a fan favorite. But, and that's the other thing. I've really watching, watching how these guys play defense. Um, you know, like I've mentioned to you before, I like, Swarm is like a sacred word to me, so I, I, I'm right. very careful how I use that. Um, so I'm not going to say they're like swarming all the time. But they tackle and run to the ball with intent. Is that a, is that a good yes. way to put it? I mean, they're not just like bringing the guard down. They are, they are forcefully and uh, with a little bit of uh, ill intent bringing, bringing ball carriers to a stop. I really, I, I do believe in ways Anthony I have likes seen. lists. Anthony likes lists, and I, uh, I like lists as well. And so, yeah. I am going to say that I do believe. Before we move on to some basketball, that I do believe this 2022 recruiting class is going to go down as the second best class in school history. If you just look at players that got went on to the NFL, what they did. Here's some of the guys just to keep an eye on: T Mac, 
We don't need to really bring him. We already know what T-Mac is. Jonas Savanea. We already know what Jonas Savanea is. Jacob Manu. Jacob Cowing. Jonah Coleman. Um, Ty Ty Uyagalele. Russell Davis. Uh, Isaiah Ward. Um, Wendell Moe. These are all, and uh, Ephesians Prysock, um, Takario Davis. These are these are difference makers of the highest, and there's probably going to be, we already know T-Mac's an NFL player and could easily be a first-round pick. Jonas Sabinea the same way. This, could easy, this class could easily have five or six NFL players in it by the time it's done, which is rare air for Arizona. Yeah. So are you backing off saying this is the best class in Arizona history? Yes, Anthony, I am backing off. I will let you tell okay. the best class right there. Well, although I will say like, from an NFL perspective, just real quick, just real quick, and then right. you got the floor. I will say from an NFL perspective, this could turn out to be the best one. That's all. You might not be wrong. You might not be wrong about that at all. Um, and I will be writing about this maybe even next week. About the best class. Woohoo! Test teaser. That's just a little tease there for everyone. Right. Um, but, you know, the best class. And again, it's uh, so classic Arizona because it was a nothing class, you know, in terms of the ranking. Right. Back then, you know, I'm sorry, we didn't have the we didn't have the Internet back then. We didn't have 24 uh, seven sports. <laughs> sorry. Um, but right. we did have Super Prep magazine. And Super Prep mm-hmm. was the the gold standard, and uh, right. I've still got right here in my little home office. I've still got the old run of Super Prep magazines from like '85 through 2000, early 2000s, whenever they really stopped printing Tom magazines. Lemming. But this the 1990 Arizona class was ranked sixth in the Pac-10. Just. Mm-hmm. Sixth, you know, just average. I don't, I don't even know if they ranked them nationally back then, but um, you know, no, uh, yeah, no big deal. Just, just your average, boring Arizona class. But it had a college football Hall of Famer, Rob Walter. It had um, an, two specialists who won. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember all this. So you had all Americans. You had, you had Tony Bowie. Mm-hmm. You had um, Steve McLaughlin, national award winner. Mm-hmm. You had Josh Miller, who was the best punter in the country. You had Sean Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, you mm-hmm. had um, the really probably the biggest kid in that class in terms of rankings. And, it, and he was well up there. Of course, he was one of Arizona's biggest catches ever with Mike Chaska. Mike Chaska, Sorrel High School. Could have gone, could have gone anywhere. Um, comes First here, great all American. Yeah, he he flashes, gets hurt, comes back, flashes some talent again, gets hurt, um, and eventually he had to retire from football before his college career was done. So that's a case of it didn't really work out. But some of the other guys, Mike Skurlock from Choya, very young. Very good Pac-10 player goes on to play in the NFL. So I've done the math at some point. I think they had maybe like nine NFL guys. You know, so you had like four All-Americans, College Football Hall of Famer, and you got like 17 starters out of that class. And that's, I mean, if you hit like on 17 of 22 guys, that's 
that's a very, very high level. And that was the foundation for what happened. The 1990 class was a foundation for what happened in 1992 after the Miami loss, when they run off five wins in a row and beat Washington. Right. So if you're, if you're following that timeline, of course, the 91 class, Arizona built on that with Teddy Bruschi and Brandon Sanders. So they built on the 90 class and it all, it took about two and a half years for it to fully show up on the field. Arizona's only at one and a half years from the 2022 class. So, Mike Luke, if you want to make the case that next year is going to be the big breakthrough year, you can point to that. I will be interested to see as far as the NFL talent, though. I do think 2022 is going to eclipse them on an NFL talent, though. I don't know that it's going to eclipse them because, like you talk, I mean, you're talking rare air when you're talking about Rob Waldrop yeah. right there. Um, but, you like, know, again, I think of- Sabinea is probably. Yeah. Go ahead. No, what I was going to say was, you know, that that particular class did have a bunch of NFL guys, but they were like guys who played in the NFL for like four or five years and then were out. They were Mike Scurlock types, Tony God bless them. Right. Yeah, Sean Harris. I mean, those were guys who were solid NFL players for three or four or five years and for whatever reason, um, injuries or, you know, just getting eclipsed by somebody else. They didn't stick around and have that 10, 12-year career. This group, as right. you say, we, could very well could very well have those at least a couple of those kind of guys. I mean, you got a you got a guy in T Mac that I think, barring injuries, probably I've always felt Dennis Northcutt was the best receiver in school history. T Mac, barring injuries, going to leave here as the best receiver in school history. I'd be pretty surprised. I think, <laughs> excuse me, I think Sabinet has got a chance there as mm-hmm. well. Then we just we didn't even talk about guys like I said, Fafita, Prysock, uh, Manu. A lot of different dudes like that. Let me ask you this. For the DraftKings pick of the week, do you like Arizona to cover or do you like Washington State? Or no, do you like Washington State to cover or Arizona with the uh, – what do you like this week? Oh, definitely, uh, definitely Arizona there, Mike. They've been they, – first Back of all, they've the been a great, they, they're a great cover team. They've been a great cover team all year. Yeah. So uh, maybe I'm backing the trend, but I don't think – uh, I, I don't think the uh, the Vegas people. I don't think the line has really caught up to Arizona. So until it does, I will be taking. I'd, I'd take Arizona as a as an underdog all day. Does that change if Jaden Delora is the starting quarterback? No, it really doesn't. Okay. Okay. Huh. All right. Now, Anthony. I want to talk to you a little bit right here about uh, – so that's our DraftKings pick of the week before we sign off. Tommy Lloyd, Arizona's pick to win the conference this year. Sean Miller, and uh, I always say this, Sean Miller, you can – the best thing that I think Sean Miller can do, and this can't be underrated, is that he turned Arizona into a two-coach school. Um, I know that Fred Snowden was here. I know he did some very good things. But I'm just talking about in the modern era – you know, Sean Miller showed after Lute Olson that you could win big here. I know they didn't make the Final Four, but a lot of top ten teams, a lot of Elite Eights, number one seeds, mm-hmm. you get it. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But it didn't feel like Arizona basketball to me. It never felt like Arizona basketball. When Lute was here, that was obviously – it was open, it was fun, it was friendly. And even though Lute could be irascible at times, it was it was just a fun product to watch. 
Tommy Lloyd feels like a continuation of Luton. Obviously different, different dudes. I get that. But this feels far more like the Arizona basketball that I grew up watching and that you were covering. Yeah, I mean, it's from a media point of view, it's never going to be like it was under Luton. But those, it's not, it's not Tom, Tommy Lloyd, Lloyd's fault at all. It's just the way of the world, right? We're not going to have open practices and, you know, weekly, basically free for all interview sessions where, you know, the guys are out on the court and we just can walk around and talk to whoever we want and get our stories that nobody else has. Those guys, those days are, those days are gone. But I think the thing that is similar is that, just the way Tommy carries himself and the way his teams right. play, they play with joy, right? I mean, you can say, oh, they play fast. Well, yeah, they play fast, um, which leads to them playing with joy. It makes them interesting right. and fun to watch. So right. um, if, we, if we got back into this is just a much easier team to root for. And I'll, I'll kind of combine the two things. You know, now that I'm back at PHNX Sports, you know, um, after a few years away from the, you know, the kind of the daily reporting, writing on the Wildcats, in that period, I started to kind of transition into being a fan because, right. you know, I'm an Arizona alum. You know, I should be rooting for my my school. And what I found was, of course, wins are important. But I want to root for people I'd like. I'm not necessarily going to be like totally rooting for the school just because they have Arizona on the front of their jerseys or whatever. I want to root for right. people that I think deserve to be rooted on. And that's right. where I really appreciate Tommy Lloyd. Um, I appreciating Jed Fish at that point. And getting back to our quarterback discussion, that's what I really like about Noah Fafita. I want, right, I right. really want him. I it's just easier to root for Noah Fafita than Jaden Delore. Just yeah. is that's my for opinion. Sure. And when you watch Tommy Lloyd too, this is the kind of guy that I think you also. Get. I think Tommy Lloyd gets it in the grand scheme of things too. I mean, he has fun out there. He can be intense. But he's not swearing just to swear and go off and, you know, do all of this. You know, again, he could be intense, but it's not the over the top stuff. And he gives his players freedom. Like every year with Sean Miller, we always heard about, well, we're going to run it this year. We're going to run. We're going to get up and down. And it absolutely never happened. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget Tommy Lloyd, one of his introductory quotes. He said, we're going to run not just because it sounds cool, but because it's the best way to win games. And again, has the tournament success hasn't been there yet. Totally get it. But again, this still feels more like what uh, I saw. And I don't know. Have I told you the Khalid Reeves, Damon Stoudemire story? I'm sure I have. You probably have. But I've probably forgot. All right, I'll tell you again because it's good. Yeah. All right. This is back when practices were open. You could go in, and I know that's a foreign concept now, but you could just walk into practice back in the day. This was during the 90, uh, this was during 93, 94, Khalid Damon 
season. And I can't remember why, but Damon was playing point guard uh, on one team. Khalid was playing point guard on the other. And remember, like if you were at practice, Lute would always be st- uh, sitting between uh, up on the stands between the two teams right there. While it would be Jesse Evans and like Phil Johnson mm-hmm. coaching, whatever the case may be. So Day- Khalid brings the ball up to half court, runs the ball up to half court. And then he looks over. I think it was a Jesse Evans looking for a play. Lute stops it. And um, I wish I could do the Kelvin Efon impression, but I can't do it. So, and he stops. Everybody's waiting for him. He makes his way down to the court. And he's saying this to a guy who's in the middle of averaging almost 25 points per game this season. And he says to him, he goes, Khalid, have I done my job coaching you? And Khalid, who was a man of very few words, as you know, said, uh, yeah. And he said, if I've done my job, why are you running the ball to half court to look over for a play? And then he says, and Khalid says, well, uh, I, I don't know. And he says, just run the, just go, just play. And then he went back up there. Khalid did not look over to the sideline for a play the rest of the entire practice. Neither did Damon. But that's what I'm talking about as far as just me, just letting your guys go, knowing you have better players and letting them express themselves. We haven't seen that, obviously. Even my guy KO did not allow that to happen. Um, mm. We haven't seen that since uh, we haven't seen that since uh, Loot, and now we see it with Tommy Lloyd to a certain extent. So you're saying that coaches don't have to call a timeout and glare at someone if they throw the ball away? Don't have yes, to. Correct. They could. They could, in theory, just let them continue to play because they've been coached to play really well. And you trust Correct. them to do what they've and been coached to do. That story, though, will always stick with me just because of the gravitas of who it was. And this was all due respect. This wasn't Jason Ritchie bringing the ball to half court and looking at Jesse Evans. This was Khalid Reeves, arguably the best shooting guard in school history. And I think there's just something to be said for actually letting players play. And I think that's a that's a very refreshing manner. And like I said, I just like how he goes about it. I know that you agree with this, Anthony Jimino. I do totally agree with it. Were you expecting me to disagree? Well, you might say, man, this Anthony Jamino, he's a really uh he's a really chill guy. This Mike Luke, this, this is a spaz, he's all over the uh, place. Guess what Mike Luke might need? OGs. Check out our friends at OG's Brands for yourself and try one or a few of their delicious flavors. Check them out across all socials at OG's Brands and online at ogsbrands.com to find them at a local dispensary near you. Must be 21 years or up to enjoy responsibly. The fruits, the red apple, the watermelon, the peach, etc. All right, real quick before we sign off, Arizona is picked to win the conference this year, Anthony Gimino. Um, Do you back this? Are you back in the A with that pick? Um. They did not ask me to vote in this preseason media poll. If they but had, did. you did. I assume you uh, picked Arizona, yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm back in the A. I agree. Oh, I, I would have picked Arizona. Yeah, I mean, right. we all know SC's, uh, SC's close, and then you got Oregon and UCLA, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know what? I, as you would say, um, I will have to give the media some credit. Because I was not expect. I mean, I did. We know Kylan Boswell. We know the potential because we watched every game and we're following the team real closely. I'm impressed that the rest of the media picked up on that. Because here's a dude who didn't necessarily play a whole lot, 
until later in the year and really didn't play well until about halfway through the year, which was perfectly understandable because he was a freshman coming off the foot injury, et cetera. But people, I, I was surprised he was named to the uh, preseason all-conference team. And I think that's legit. Right. But I just thought it'd be really hard for somebody who really wasn't following Arizona closely to make that make that projection. But I think that speaks right. to um, the attention that uh, Tommy brings to the program. And I think it speaks to the trust that uh, other people from the outside have in his coaching ability, which leads them to like, yeah, I think if, if I'm going to pick a team number one, I'm going to go with Tommy over Andy Enfeld. I think I can trust Tommy a little bit more with that. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Even though I like Andy Enfield, I think Andy Enfield gets a bad rap. I like Andy Enfield, but Andy yeah. Enfield, if John, you've, you've spent, if John, you've spent plenty of time rapping him. No, but I like Andy Enfield though. Overall, I like Andy Enfield. Okay. If John yeah. Tesh was a college basketball coach with a lot of talent, he would be <laughs> Andy Enfield. That's exactly. It's just kind of even keel for USC though. He's good. Oh, sure. Yeah. Was he better All than right. that other guy? Yeah, we're not going there. Mm. All right, Anthony, yeah. when's your next article coming out? Uh, preview the preview it real quick for the peeps. Well, I think it should go on uh, Go PHNX right now. Because it's up. Oh, all right. Yeah. Check it out. That's called Check a tease right there. All right, Anthony. I know you. Uh, I know you got to get to bed, and you're because you got a uh, or not get to bed for your nap. But um, on that note, <laughs> though, mean, yeah. he's Anthony. He's Anthony Gimino. I'm Mike Luke. You've been listening to the AZ Wildcats podcast.